You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LAFC. This is week seven of the study Identity Theft, entitled Beautiful, Clothed in Splendor. Okay, so let's hop into this. Um, Our author this week, I don't know if any of you kind of focus or even just kind of skip over who the author, but the author is a woman by the name of Trillia Newbell. Trillia Newbell. I wondered if she like looked around for a man whose last name started like musical to go with her first name because it's just Trillia Newbell. It's so beautiful. Anyway, um, so she started out with a definition of beauty. Um, and I'm going to just talk with you a little bit about this. It's a noun. She actually said beautiful. We'll get to that in a second. But she chose to define beauty. The quality or aggregate of qualities in a person or thing that gives pleasure to the senses or pleasurably exalts the mind or the spirit. So in everyday conversation, we use the word beauty in a wide variety of ways, such as that 1957 Chevy is a beauty or um, it was a beauty of a touchdown, or the beauty of that mountain is unsurpassed. We use it all the time. And theoretically, almost anything can be described in that way. As the saying goes, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And by the way, I'm always kind of going back to see where that came from. It came from way, way back. But in the English language, apparently, the first woman given given credit for using it was a lady by the name of Margaret Wolfe Hungerford in her 1878 novel called... Uh, Molly Bond, and I looked that up, and it's described as an 1878 Irish light romantic fiction. So if you're into 1878 romantic fiction, there's a resource. I have not read it myself. Um, But the word beauty, uh, we do say is in the eye of the beholder, right? Because it's perception. So if a guy were to come through that door right now, some great big huge guy, and he had a great big huge basket like this, and he flipped up the top, and out of it hopped, a great big huge python. Wow! I would not be saying this is a thing of beauty. I would be running in the opposite direction and fighting you all for places on the top of the table, right? It would not be, I would not think think of beauty when I saw that snake. However, if you were a Sri Lankan snake charmer or if you are a herpetologist who's those guys that study reptiles, you might say, that is a real beauty, that snake. So, Perception, just remember perception as we go through this today. And then she talked about um, beautiful a lot. That's the adjective that she used. And some definitions I got of that, delighting the senses or mind aesthetically, remarkable, excellent, affording pleasure, being in harmony with your tastes or likings, or highly enjoyable, like just the beautiful weather. So, I have to kind of say that for me, this whole process has been a little bit of an enigma because there is a tension, and and I'll talk more about that in a little in a little bit. But anyway, that's her her um, her definition. And each week when we focus on another aspect of our identity, I don't know if this is kind of sinking in with you too, but. There's an accompanying tension between his perfection and our sinful world, right? Everything that we've studied so far, there's that connection. And how that connects to where our identity lies. And so beauty is really no exception. God created beauty everywhere in this world, 
The last question in your workbook, in fact, for this week refers to Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, having clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are out without excuse. So there is just his beauty all around us. We're aware of it using all the senses God gave us all the time, much of it unconscious, but it would be like the sight of the golds and the reds on the trees we're seeing out here right now on the leaves, or the sound of a symphony, or the sound of an ocean wave, or the scent of the air after the first rain in the spring. Do you know that? That just that scent that you get in the air, it's God-given, it's beauty. Um, then, then maybe the touch of a newborn baby's skin. Those of you with little folks, how many times do you know that when you, somebody comes up to see that baby that we just all want to touch his cheek or there's something about that baby's skin that's just incredibly beautiful. <laughs> Even the taste of freshly made bread, anybody identify with that? Comes out of the oven, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. And God created man, what? Oh, see, I didn't see it this morning, but it was gorgeous. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. We have the most incredible skies around here anyway. I think this area is just amazing. <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning for a minute. Uh, Genesis 1 first tells us God said everything was good, right? All the first few things, first few days were good. And then in verse 26, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God saw all that he had made, and it was good. This is day six. Very good. Very good. Yay. Okay, it was very good. There was evening and morning the sixth day. So just like everything else he created, he gave mankind beauty. And that's inside and outside. And this also reflects the truth that he is beautiful. Scripture tells us so. Here's just one example. Isaiah 33, 17. Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. He's not like human being beautiful like we think of skin and noses and arms um, as having a pleasing physical characteristic. He is pure beauty in all aspects. And he went to great lengths to tell us that we aren't to make any idols of him. So now I'm going to go to Exodus. Those of you who were with us a couple springs ago would remember this. Second commandment says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them, worship them. For I am the Lord your God, I am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. And in the same chapter, after the rest of the Ten Commandments, commandments are completed, and you pop down to verse 22, he says, and the Lord said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, you saw for yourselves that I spoke to you from heaven. Remember, you must not make any idols of silver or gold to rival me. So the fact, the very man who met God on the mountain to receive those commandments also wrote in Exodus 2.2, and the woman conceived and gave birth to a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Now, y'all know that's Moses talking about Moses, right? Just, yeah. So <laughs> I looked that word up in translation, and some will say healthy or some other connotation, some other word. But it all applies to, like, physical, physical beauty in one way or another. 
Um, and then if you go to Acts 7.20 in Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin, he said, at that time Moses was born and he was beautiful in the sight of God. For three months he was nurtured in his father's house. And then the writer of he Hebrews 11.23, uh, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So beauty in and of itself is God-given. He created it. And then what happened? The fall. We are all broken people living in a broken world, correct? So the enemy lies and steals and kills and perverts everything good. He grasps what is good, and then he makes it so cunning that we're tempted to take the bait and focus or even sometimes obsess on physical appearance. He tempted Adam and Eve, who disobeyed God and ate from the tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil, and suddenly they knew what? That they were naked and ashamed. They were aware of their physical presence. So that leads us to identity theft which pretty much, I would say, is externally focused. And Trillia Newbell reveals these three different lies. The first one is that appearance is queen, or the outward appearance is all important. And she asks us, have we misplaced the significance of beauty instead of being good and making it a god? Uh, she reminds us that the heart of idolatry is forgetting who God is and worshiping self instead. So idolatry takes something good and makes it too important. Um, and she asked the question, are you ever content? Or you ever just have that feeling of contentment rather than wondering? I was laughing at myself this morning because while it was still dark and I was getting dressed, I was trying to figure out what I was going to wear today. I thought, well, that's kind of, hmm. What is our verse again? Do not worry about what you will wear. <laughs> so anyway, moving on. Lie number two, if I only looked like hers, meaning I must measure up. And that can lead to envy and greed and pride. And she mentions the warnings of pitfalls by comparison. So let's face it, ladies, we can always find someone who is taller, shorter, thinner, smarter, better singer, um, curly hair, straight hair, better mom, better wife, whatever, 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 right? We can always find somebody that we perceive as better. So comparison easily becomes sinful, and it kind of snuffs out trust and gratitude. It can steal joy, create envy, greed, and unhealthy competitiveness. And that's just in our culture here all around us. I think we can see that fairly easily. James 3.16 said, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So it applies to many other parts of life as well as this humanly created scale of beauty. So the pride compels us to compare ourselves to other, others, either negatively or positively, sorry. And then that turn, it can disturb our relationships with each other and more importantly with God, right? Because we're putting that first. And then line number three, beauty equals acceptance. I have to be beautiful in order to be acceptable or desirable. So our perception of what others think of us gets us into an impossible kind of treadmill. Um, if we let it. We place too much value on what we believe are the opinions of others. Like I was wondering what your opinion would be if I came in my old t-shirt this morning. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so, <laughs> but whether that's true or not. So worldly standards are not true standards. Acceptance also leads to insecurity and I just, 
as a side trail would say, you, you all know this, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but the technology that's out there available today and then the ability to take 6,000 pictures of yourself if you're a 15-year-old girl in, you know, two minutes and then send them out to the world to see how you look, to pose, is everywhere. I think it's the most pre prevalent thing. It's never been that way before. So. Um, that just leads to them feeling insecure or, you know, either side of that, you know, feeling very prideful or feeling dejected and alone and scared. Um, so with these lies in mind, I just want to show you a tiny, tiny bit. I could, have, I could have had enough to go for the whole rest of the morning, but a tiny, tiny bit because uh, beauty as we perceive it, our frame of reference is 21st century America, right? That's where we are. Um, but the world in cultures, beauty changes over time and over place. So these are just a few little examples for you of things that are considered beautiful in other parts of the world or other times. So you can see the plate lip over here. That's actually her lip with a plate stretched around it. Um, some parts of Africa that apparently this is beginning to fade a little bit, but there are still parts where women do this as a part of their beauty ritual. They wait till a girl is in her early teens and then they cut her lip and start stretching it around, so, and then they put bigger and bigger and bigger discs in there. I don't know what that does to your jaw or how you eat, but that's considered. The next one is not as clear, but that's henna, um, which is an art. It's a, a, a skin art. These, are, um, these go away. They're not permanent. But um, in Indian culture in particular, they're used uh, especially for things like wedding ceremonies or engagements or big parties and their arms, their hands in particular, and they all have significance, a significance to them in that culture. And the lady over here, those are neck bands, <laughs> and there's a part of the world still, and those are... Um, um, That's Kaya, where Boston and Becky Bless you, focused. Thailand. Yeah, tell us about it. <laughs> I couldn't yeah, find that in your... No, they just do that to be beautiful. <laughs> they um, yeah. stretch their necks up, and they do, still do it for tourists, and then when you walk away, they unbuckle the plastic... It's <laughs> like metal, so they're comfortable. It's interesting, yeah. It's they take them on. It's Eskaya. Kaya. Kaya. It, amazing, and I did read about that, that they, uh, they'll come now today and they'll, the people who employ them, I guess, make a lot of money. The ladies make a little bit of money. But it does, I mean, if you just think, even if it's plastic or whatever it is around your neck, it pushes, it makes it look like their neck is longer and longer going this way, but it actually pushes down, you know, on your clavicles, on your shoulders, and kind of, and cause, cause, can cause damage, can put that pressure down on your heart and your lungs. So, in the name of beauty, that's my point. Um, this lady looks a little bit more, whoops, looks, let me go back here. Eh, eh, eh. She looks a little bit more like you might see something normal here, as does this one. These ladies are on a beauty contest a few decades back, maybe a century back. And then foot binding, just real briefly. This is another thing done to, uh, in the perception this was Chinese going way, way back. There are still some parts of the world that do it, but not in China, apparently, unless it's behind the scenes, because I guess they outlawed it. But anyway, the idea is when a, just a young girl starts growing, they, they bind her feet. They put tiny shoes, if you've not ever heard of this before. And then you can see how this is up high. Your foot, the top of your foot just keeps growing, and it curls over your toes or underneath your feet in the name of beauty. So um, it's nothing new, I guess. It's been happening around the world forever. And then just a little bit more for our culture, and I'll go on. Um, these are all ads, marketing efforts to us. Uh, most of them are from today. A few of them are from older, older years. But you can see um, just kind of 
Oh, up in the upper left here, the cute tomato cutex, that was from the 1950s. A lot of effort today on what things are, are marketed as, which may not necessarily bad, be bad. I don't mean to say these are all bad, but I'm, they, they are what's out there. So the natural cosmetics for your perfect skin, which made me wonder if I have perfect skin. I don't know that I would need, but anyway. Um, what's your thing? That's all about you being self. What is your thing? What is your thing, right? What do you, you need or want? A couple of the top one there, the solar powered, um, that's a whole different look, which I'm not exactly sure about the bronze, but somebody, it looks like a James Bond movie maybe, but um, anyway, to someone that's sounding good for the nail treatment. Um, up in the left-hand corner, I'll just point this one out and we'll be done, because we were just talking about the neck, neck bands. I don't know when this one came up, Curves of Youth in the top corner there, but um, <laughs> it's a leather like a belt that you put around your head, and then it's got holes on each side like grommets, and then there's a chain that comes down, and you put it underneath your chin, and then you pull the chain, and it tightens your chin up. <laughs> so you won't get those terrible wrinkles on your neck. I think I would at least go for duct tape. I'm not sure about, <laughs> about the chains. But anyway, um, they're all out there, right? And um, not necessarily everything here is sinful. I'm just saying there's such an array of things. And so we just need to be so mindful. And, and not to beat ourselves up that because we're living in this particular world and time, we're the only ones you know, susceptible to this, because we're not. We're not. It's been around for a long, long time. Which that takes us to identity truth. And um, identity truth really begins with just God's word, his holiness, his righteousness, and his purity. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Have any of you ever heard that one before? I know another melody of that. Okay. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. I know another one. <laughs> I think of Proverbs 18.10, which makes me think of an old castle in the 1800s, which makes me think of the strong tower, and that's how I remember that one. But um, he is, and we do run to him. So with, as with every other aspect of our lives, that's the best place to begin is with him. And then, of course, um, there's a quote on page 92 that says, beauty starts with God. God's the creator of the universe, and he defines what is beautiful. So... Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the righteousness of Christ, he's the source of our true beauty, right? So above and beyond all that other stuff, that's the truth. He created us physically, emotionally, spiritually. He gave us all these different aspects. And so this is the heart of it all. There are, she used the A.W. Tozer quote, say that fast. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. Because he's holy, his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think is belonging to God must be thought of as holy. And then our, our memory verse today alludes to that. It describes, first of all, the outer, and then the second part of that verse is all about the inner, being um, hidden in your heart. So, since Jesus is the image of the invisible God and the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, how can he help but be infinitely beautiful? But lest we forget, I'm just going to pull a little bit of this uh, text out of Isaiah 53. Um, and it's about, it's prophecy about Jesus. And it starts with verse 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty 
to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That's probably very familiar to many of you. That's just a reminder that Jesus didn't have to come into this world looking like a rock star, right? That wasn't part of the appeal of Jesus. And so I think it's just good for us to remember that as well. If we're called to be like Jesus, then we're called to be beautiful as he is, focused on him, not on the makeup or jewelry outfit or what we're going to wear or how, or how we grow beautiful into our identity as his transformed people, even if that leads to suffering in this life. And he, ch he challenges us with that as well, correct? You've had some hard times. I've heard your testimony. Uh, just living day to day for him can involve a lot of suffering. And then we remember he suffered more. So there's a balance. It's good for us to be clean and respectful and modest in the way we dress and to dress appropriately. I think probably everybody would agree with that. He created beauty. He gave it to us. So there's nothing innately wrong with that. It's like the balance of a teeter-totter, I think. you know. And as long as we are focused on him, that's going to stay nice and level. And we can show his beauty to the world through us. But the minute that we start to fall to those temptations and we end up on one end of that slide or the other, either prideful or feeling so dejected that we're worthless and don't look good and aren't aging well or whatever it might be, then we can run into problems. So I'm going to quickly give you a run-through of three people that I see as beautiful people, and I want to just show this to you as an example. They all happen to be men. There's no reason why, why they're men rather than women, except that I have heard all of these men speak on multiple times, and two of them before we had the Internet. So I was actually like out somewhere listening to them. And you may or may not be familiar with them. This first one is Dave Reaver. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Dave Reaver. If you look at his face, would you, if you just looked at the surface, would you call him beautiful? Probably not. Well, Dave Reaver's about my age. When he was 19, he was drafted into the Army to go to Vietnam. He joined the Navy instead. He became a specialist on riverboats going through the jungles, fighting um, the Viet Cong on the shore. And one day, he was, he was 19 years old when he did this. He was on the boat. He had a phosphorus grenade in his hand. He pulled the pin to throw it. Before it left his hand, he was hit with a bullet, incoming bullet. It blew off his hand. It exploded that grenade. It took off the right-hand side of his face. He lost all but one finger on that hand. He breathed in the air. He got it in his lungs. Phosphorus, uh, phosphorus heats to 5,000 degrees when it burns Fahrenheit. That went into his lungs. He jumped in the water to cool off, but phosphorus burns in water. He got water in his mouth, and so his digestive. They thought he was going to be dead. Long story short, they thought he was not going to survive. And here he is today, about... 50, de 50, 50 decades, 50 years later, this man has had a ministry that's worldwide. He has worked with veterans. He has worked with people who have been addicted to alcohol and other drugs. He and his wife set up a ministry where they take people to um, um, out west. They have a couple of different ranches where they bring people for healing. This man, I don't even, I can't even imagine how many people have come to know the Lord because of him. So when I look at him, and the more I look at his face, the more beautiful he becomes to me. He is a, he is a beautiful man. And this next one 
He's, um, he's about 20 years younger than I am, and this is David Ring, and if you've never heard of David Ring, he was uh, born and the doctor said he didn't survive and put him on the table and went back to the mother, and 18 minutes later, somebody realized that he had a little heartbeat. So they didn't think he was gonna survive, but he did, and he had cerebral palsy, and he was affected profoundly by it. He has a, quite a, his speech, you have to really listen. You can, you can understand his words, but it's not easy for him. He's fragile. He was told he would never go to school. He would never be able to have a girlfriend or get married. He was pretty much just going to have to be in a wheelchair and have somebody take care of him. And of course, that's him with his wife and their four children. And he goes out all over the country again and around the world. And he just, his opening line when you hear him speak is, I can't, I can't mimic how he says it, but if you can imagine it with a little bit of difficult speaking, I have cerebral palsy and what's your problem? And that's his tone. And he challenges people and he loves the Lord. And so when I look at him, I see great beauty. And the third one you may or may not have seen, this is Nick, and Nick is younger. Nick is only 40, only 40 I say. <laughs> Nick, Nick is from Australia and he was born with something called Tetra Amelia syndrome, no limbs. And if you can just see down in the very bottom here, this is a, a, what would sort of be a foot, but it's coming out of his hip joint, and there are two toes. Those are the only digits that he has on his entire body. And he, of course, was told, and he had supportive parents, um, um, David before him did not, who, who, who encouraged him and, and tried to help him, but he was told, basically, you don't have a life. And that's him and his wife and their four children. <laughs> and Nick just goes around the world and he talks to people about God's grace and God's mercy. And all of these, so all of these three men went through terrible suffering, probably more than you know, we will ever experience. And they came through, because they were not focused on their outer beauty or their inability to do things, they were focused on God and his mercy and his grace. And so I just, when I think of them, I think of beauty as well. So um, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to let you go to your tables, but before we do, I'm going to ask you to do a little activity as you start. And it doesn't have to be long. In fact, it shouldn't be long. But at your tables, if you've all got a phone with pictures on it, or if you've got a picture in your wallet, or if you don't have either of those and you have a picture in your mind, literally in 60 seconds, tell the ladies around the table or show that picture to them and what's beautiful about that picture to you. Because we've been talking about perception all morning. So it could be someone that, that's in your family that you just really admire and love and respect. It could be someone that you know that you want so badly to become saved that isn't saved. If you can't find a picture right away, that's okay. But just, just, to, just to share with your table, maybe like a 50 or 60 second. Don't take any more time on that or you won't have time for the rest of the stuff. But I think it's, since we're talking about how we feel and what our perception of beauty is, and we've been talking about that inner beauty, I think it would be wonderful for everybody at your table to hear what everybody else has to say and, and for and you to just to share. So if you do that and then go into your workbooks, and we're going to stop a couple minutes early and we'll be done. We always run out of time. I, uh, I wanted to just take a couple minutes before we leave today because we really hadn't talked about transformation, and I, I did that intentionally. I've been hearing so many words of wisdom as I walk around here and just all the different um, ideas that you all have had from this study, and I, I just wanted to um, talk a little bit about that. So identity transformation, um, Trillia reminded us that all things will be new, so we're going in a different direction, right? Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
And in the beginning, it was all perfect. And then the fall, and things began to change. And it is most likely evident to everyone in this room that if we just rely on our physical beauty as a measure of our worth, then we are in deep trouble. Because we get scars, and we get wrinkles, and we get warts, and we get sunspots, and we get droopy skin. And all the products of the years and decades are not going to reverse them. So our progression through this life physically is part of the way God wired us, right? Our bodies are designed that way um, to have sort of a gradual change in our abilities, our muscle mass, and on down through the whole list. So we are kind of programmed to decline physically as we age. Although you did, you brought up a very important point over here. Sarah at 80 was considered the most beautiful woman. So Sarah had it going on. I don't know where she got her uh, beauty products, but she was amazing. Um, so anyway, it's part of God's plan for this life. And so we embrace that change, and we want to live every day in eternity with him. So while it's good for ourselves to care for ourselves as best we can, to use whatever we feel in our right um, for us, and that we are not making an idol out of those things, then we are also glorifying God, right? We're caring for others. We're putting our trust in him. We are going to have new bodies. Pastor Tony just talked about this not too long ago. We can't imagine exactly what they will be like. We can't comprehend, and we don't really need to do that today, so don't stress out about it. Uh, but that's where our faith comes in, and the fact that we um, don't need to do it today, that we can't do it ourselves, but the blood of Jesus has done it for us, right? That's the core. He washed us. He will make those of us who have trusted in him more beautiful than we can imagine, not for us, but to glorify him. And so um, humility is beautiful. Keeping our eyes on him is beautiful. It's not, however, adhering to some prescribed or legalistic view of what's permitted and not permitted. We talked about that a little bit earlier. That would be no different than those in the early church who thought those who wanted to accept Christ should be circumcised or should continue eating by all the rules of the law. You know, you can, you can believe, but you've got to become like half Jewish, sort of. Um, and though it would be the same thing, being legalistic. Um, we don't want to do that. So if we consider the physical beauty as a gift from God to be appreciated and not made into an idol, not to be a source of comparison, leading to pride on the one side or defeat and rejection on the other. So we want to keep our eyes on him and looking ahead, see his true beauty. So just like we are free and a reflection of the Lord and children of God and saints and fruitful and members of the body of Christ, we are also beautiful in him, reflecting his beauty. In the last week, I heard two very godly men use the word beautiful intentionally and with, with, with great um, thought, and I just want to share that with you. One was um, Pastor Matt last Saturday at that uh, scripture reading that we did, and he described the great variety of ways that we read scripture. You know, you just have the text. You have no verses. And he gave us a time period. And some people would go right through. We were doing uh, Galatians. Some people would go right straight through and in the first 20-minute period would have read through it twice. And other people like me would be like maybe three-quarters of the way down page one because we were dissecting. He said to us, 
this is beautiful seeing how God created us differently and how we're in our word in his word and we are learning together through different ways he created us uniquely it's beautiful he used that word to describe that process that he was seeing and then Sunday morning in our ABF we had about 25 people um, looking at Psalm 119 some stanzas of 119 and we were working in small groups and talking about what those those particular stanzas meant and Don Riker was our teacher and as he was wrapping up he said I just have to tell you how beautiful it was this morning to see you all working together as the body of Christ with the Holy Spirit just flowing through this room as you study that was very beautiful so that word beautiful I guess I'm asking you as you go through this next week and you've maybe been thinking about it this week too you know just when you see that word beautiful stop and think about what it means uh, what your love for him means and where we are going eventually this pure glorious unimaginably beautiful body in a new heaven and a new earth with no sin so as one reminder every time you walk through the front doors of this church you really can take advantage of looking at those doorways and reminding yourself what beautiful is because it says love God love people, live truth, proclaim Jesus. And isn't that what his beauty is really about and where we are now and in that already but not quite stage and where we're headed, right? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for being with us this morning. I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for your beautiful creation that we get to enjoy every day. I thank you for the beautiful ladies around these tables who've just spent time and energy and thought and prayer on the beauty that you've created for us and how we as your daughters can just relay your beauty through our actions, through our hearts, through our love for others, through our um, desire to not be critical and our desire to just um, share what you have given to us with others through our heart for your beauty. I just pray that you would go with us all and keep us safe until we're back again. In Jesus' name, amen.